So we should be constantly uh, grateful for his blessings. And the blessing is just not dunyawi blessing. I think the greater blessing is the fact that Allah has made us Muslim, has made us, uh, has given us the ability to recite the Quran, to learn the Quran, to have something to do with the Quran, has blessed us in this world with the Quran. Because what would have been the benefit of being in this world without the Quran? That would have been a major deprivation. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa baraka wa sallama tasliman kathiran ila yawmiddin amma ba'd Alhamdulillah we are looking at um, this book uh, with the noble Quran by Sheikh Khalil al-Husari that uh, has just recently been published uh, we're looking at uh, chapter 9 right now and this is about the recommended etiquette for the reciter of the Quran so, Sheikh Khalil al talks about the person who recites the Qur'an, that he needs to have uh, different types of etiquette to get the most out of reciting the Qur'an. So what he says is that he should adorn himself and take great care in holding onto these etiquette. Um, he says both the listener and the reader should do this. So uh, we're going to spe be speaking about uh, the reader today. There are two types of etiquette, he says, that pertains to the reciter. And these etiquette, you'll see, are just rec recommended for Muslims all over. So this is not necessarily just for somebody who's reciting the Qur'an. This is what just behooves a Muslim uh, to have these etiquette, uh, to, to be you know, who they are as Muslims and to represent Islam and to have Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in their life. So this is the first set of etiquette. If a person has this etiquette and then they read the Qur'an, then inshallah they'll have a much greater uh, understanding and then much greater benefit from the Qur'an. So he says that the first set of etiquette are required at all times and the second are particular to reciting. So we're going to look at the first ones today, inshallah. So the first type he says is that a person should constantly try to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They should be constantly remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and be grateful uh, for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's blessings. And, you know, subhanAllah, especially in these Western countries, uh, those of us who live in the UK, in Europe, um, in, in, in the US, in Canada, mashallah, I think we literally probably enjoy, uh, enjoy a lifestyle of the top 10% of the population of the world. And that's quite amazing when you look at it from that perspective, how much Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has provided us. So we should be constantly... Uh, grateful for his blessings and the blessing is just not dunyawi blessing I think the greater blessing is the fact that Allah has made us Muslim has made us uh, has given us the ability to recite the Quran to learn the Quran to have something to do with the Quran has blessed us in this world with the Quran because what would have been the benefit of being in this world without the Quran that would have been a major deprivation so that's what he says first then he says the next thing that a person should have is place this trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for everything that we do. And that's just iman essentially because why should we place our trust in Allah? Because everything comes from Him. And if we don't, then we're just looking at the wrong place. We're focusing on the wrong area. We have to focus on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because everything comes from Him. We have to place our trust on Him because He is behind everything. He is in control of everything. He should seek aid from Him. He should yearn for Him. So... Not only do we know that everything is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we also need to be saying, well, we can only ask Allah. All other doors are closed. Right? All other doors are closed. 
nobody can help us the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can help us. Nobody can help us always as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can always help us. Other people are sometimes busy. They can help us sometimes, but not all the time. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can actually help us all the time because he has time for us all the time as long as we just yearn for him and be dependent on him. And then he says we should always be prepared for death. That's a more difficult one. Be prepared for death. I don't think it's that difficult. I think prepared for death doesn't mean that you literally are in your shroud, right? And you have, you know, everything ready. That doesn't necessarily mean be prepared. Be prepared means that if I was to die today or tomorrow, then yes, there might be a few things here and there that are left to do. There might have been a few projects that I wanted to do. But however, anything that's going to bother me in the hereafter, that's going to be a nuisance, uh, to me in the hereafter and that could actually uh, cause my detriment in the hereafter like debts that I haven't organized so I might not be able to pay my debts off today because I don't have that kind of money to pay off but I've organized it I've left something I've left a bequest I've left uh, an asset or something that could be sold and or somebody who could assist like a like a child or a friend or somebody who can assist in doing so I've sought forgiveness from people if I've ever wronged anybody. I've uh, done my qada prayers. I've done my qada fast. Uh, I've uh, either arranged for or paid off any zakat that uh, that I owe. Something like that. All of those kind of things. That That is, I mean, just, just uh, good, good Muslim practice. That's what it means to be prepared. And then the second type of preparation for death is essentially that I've sent something forward. Right? I've left some sadaqah jariyah, I've left some continuous charity, something that's going to keep going on, whether that be a book that people are continuing to read, whether that be a masjid that people will continue to pray in, maybe a hafiz or two or an alim or two or somebody who's learned something and they're going to continue to practice with what they have learned. Right? I've donated to an institute, a madrasa, a, a school where uh, they, they, they ch teach children, they teach uh, them, they teach adults. And those people are just going to carry on doing those things and there's no stopping them now afterwards. I've left some pious children, pious family, pious assets, righteous assets that, that do good. All of these things. Then we can say we're prepared. May Allah prepare us. May Allah prepare us. May Allah prepare us for this. Always be in a state of fear for his sins. That if we do have sins or even if we don't have sins, we're fearful of committing sins. That consciousness and have hope in the pardon of his Lord. So the fear of sin should not overcome us in such a way that we become overwhelmed and we give up or we become despondent. It should be that we have hope in the pardon of our Lord. His fear of Allah, while he is healthy, now he decides to explain that. He says that a person's fear of Allah while a person is healthy should be his dominant state. When we're healthy, our dominant sh state should be fear rather than hope because that just keeps us going a bit more. I think I've discussed this in much greater detail in our hell, uh, hell described, our hell series on the description of the hellfire, which you can find on Zamzam Academy or on our channel at YouTube and other places. Right. So the dominant state in a situation of health should be that we are uh, more fearful because that just keeps us better on our feet and then he says and have hope in the pardon of his lord that along with that we need to have that while at the time of death 
or when a person is sick and a person thinks they're going to die, there's going to be terminal illness or something, then the prevalent state at that time should be a good opinion of Allah Most High. So not fear, because then shaitan can use that fear in the wrong way, and we don't want shaitan to do that. It should then be hope in Allah, that, that love and earnestness and that eagerness towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, let not one of you die except that he has a good opinion of Allah. Let not one of you die except that he has a good opinion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Subhanallah. May Allah allow us to have a good opinion of him. The way to have good opinion is to do things in the right way and to understand Allah in the right way. So then Allah will have mercy on him and forgive him. Furthermore, the author says, he should call himself to an abstention from the worldly life. Abstention from the worldly life doesn't mean that you just give up everything and you don't use anything of the world. No, you can use whatever it is in the world as long as you don't let it come into your heart. You use it for its utility and its functionality. That's, I think, the secret of this world. I think the secret of zuhud is that you get the world for it serving an important and necessary function. You don't get it to show off and to indulge and just enjoy for no reason. You get it because it's functional and then it provides a certain function. That could mean that sometimes you need to have some halal pleasure to a certain degree, right? So if you keep it functional and not show off, then I think it should be fine. Inshallah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy for us. You should have scrupulousness in his religion. So be careful and be scrupulous and particular about matters. Don't just keep saying, oh, Allah will forgive, Allah will forgive, Allah will forgive, Allah make it easy for us. A continuous vigilance about his master. We should be constantly vigilant about Allah, our master, inwardly and outwardly, privately and publicly. So this isn't something that we just show outside but don't do inside or that we do inside and outside we just try to make it seem like um, we are not very practicing. I don't see any point of that. We don't want to show off about our practice. May Allah give us practice. But at the same time, we need to be vigilant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He should distance himself from falling into prohibited and doubtful matters. He should take care to have forbearance, uh, dignity. So these are personal traits. Have forbearance. So be patient. Um, dignified, gentle, be composed, have humility towards the poor, love for the destitute, an abstention from arrogance and vanity, and be as far as possible from dispute and argumentation. Wherever you can avoid a dispute, it's just best to avoid a dispute because it just can explode. It can just bring up many other issues. It might be a small thing. If it can be tolerated and you can just deal with it without it and you can just let it go, it's best to do that. Okay, in some cases you do have to uh, try to deal with something then do it in the wisest of way ways. May Allah have mercy on Abdullah ibn Mas'ud anhu. He said, it is befitting for the reciter of the Quran that he should be known for his nights when the other people are asleep. For his days while the other people are not fasting, so he should fast. For his tears when people are laughing. For his silence while the people are engrossed in speech, vain speech. For his humility while the people strut around pompously. And for his grief while the people are happy. Abdullah ibn Amr anhu said, It is not fit, befitting for the carrier of the Qur'an to delve into excessive chatter. This refers to both people who are hafiz of the Qur'an and those who like to read the Qur'an and who want to consider themselves to be attached to the Qur'an. Their character is that 
They should not delve into excessive chatter with those that do so. He should not be ignorant as those who are ignorant. He should not participate in vain acts with those who do so. Rather, he should forgive and pardon out of veneration for the right of the Qur'an because the speech of Allah Most High is inside him. I think that just provides the crux of this because the speech of Allah is inside him. It is narrated that Hassan Basri rahmatullahi alayhi said, those who came before you viewed the Qur'an as messages from their Lord. Subhanallah. Like imagine it. Everything you read of the Qur'an, they consider them to be letters, emails, text messages, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, like individually for us. That's how Hassan Basri says, those who came before you viewed the Quran as messages from their Lord, thus they spent their nights in deep reflection of it. Because this is a message I got, I need to be concerned about this message. And their days in the implementation of it. It is befitting for the carrier of the Quran to choose friends who will assist him. So you have to have good friends, right? That really makes life, that really is what changes life, is, to, is the friends that we have and the circle that we have. You have to be very, very careful about it. You have to curate, curate your friends, keep the good and distance the bad, right? Otherwise, they will be your doom. They should also be people, they should also be people one does not fear evil from and is hopeful of their good, meaning their friends. They should live in harmony with the regulation of the Quran and its meaning. If everybody can do that, that makes everybody together and it's just easier than. They should know the unambiguous verses and the ambiguous verses, the abrogating verses and the abrogated verses, the unqualified verses and the detailed verses, the general verses and the specific verses, that which Allah has made obligatory and that which He has encouraged. By this, it will benefit, the person will benefit by what he recites and act upon what he, re what he reads. It is not befitting for the carrier of the Qur'an to recite its injunctions, rules and regulations and not understand what he is reciting, nor comprehend what he is reading. Similarly, it is not befitting that he be asked about the meaning of what he is reciting, yet not have any knowledge of it. So, now he's getting more into the more specifics of it, but as you see, this character is just the character of a Muslim. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to become like that and to benefit from this. So, inshallah, in the next section, uh, we will be dealing with the specific characteristics of when, uh, etiquette of when a person is actually reciting the Quran. So inshallah, until then, jazakallah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us through the Quran and elevate us through the Quran and make us people who are worthy of reciting the Quran as mentioned here by the author, uh, Sheikh Khalil, uh, Mahmoud Khalil al-Husari. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward him abundantly. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. The point of a lecture is to encourage people to act, to get further, an inspiration, an encouragement, persuasion. The next step is to actually start learning seriously to read books, to take on a subject of Islam and to understand all the subjects of Islam, at least at their basic level, so that we can become more aware of what our deen wants from us. Uh, and that's why we started uh, Rayyan courses, so that uh, you can actually take organized lectures uh, on demand whenever you have free time, especially, for example, the Islamic Essentials uh, course that we have on there, the Islamic Essentials Certificate, which you take 20 short modules and at the end of that, inshallah, you will have gotten the, the basics of 
most of the most important topics in Islam and you'll feel a lot more confident. You don't have to leave lectures behind. You can continue to, leave, uh, you know, to listen to lectures, but you need to have this more sustained study as well. Jazakallah khair and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.